When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host Hayden Grove, joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter Mr. Chris Fedor. And uh, Chris, I'm the one now feeling refreshed back <laughs> after a vacation. Actually, actually, I'm still on vacation. I have a little staycation before the Brown season starts. All right. Uh, getting the P2 out of the way, but uh, always can make time for you in the podcast. So, um, what happened while I was gone? <laughs> Well, I don't think anything really happened. There's a bunch of rumors that have happened. Uh, Kevin Love joined Team USA. Trying to think uh, what else happened while you were gone. Matthew Della Vadova committed to play with a team back in Melbourne if he doesn't get a free agent deal from an NBA team. Um, hmm. The Philadelphia 76ers apparently made Ben Simmons available in a trade. What else? They're calling this I've seen well, that. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, those have been flying for a long, long time now. Yep. Uh, what else? Uh, the Garland. Phoenix Suns got to the NBA Finals. They're up 2 1 on the yep. Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. There's been a lot that has happened. Uh, I'll, I'll phrase it this way there has been a lot and very little that have happened in the NBA simultaneously. Correct. Correct. In terms of what we are talking about, right. Yeah. With the Cavaliers, it's. Uh, it's 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 been a little slow, but the good news is again we are quickly approaching the draft. We are 16 days away from the 2021 NBA draft. But as you mentioned, a lot of things going on. Um, I guess we can start with Team USA. I mean, Cavaliers. That's kind of the the only two, or excuse me, the only thing that's kind of happening that involves the Cavaliers right now in terms of actual basketball playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Love on Team USA trying to um, kind of reclaim that. Status is one of the better players in the NBA, one of the better players in the Cavaliers after he's gone through some injuries. But the problem is, Chris, and I have seen this. Uh-huh. Team USA loses to Nigeria, and then Team USA loses to Australia. Uh-huh. Without Ben Simmons, and but with Matthew Delavadova. So um thus far, what have you seen from Kevin? What have you seen from Team USA? What have you seen from Jarius Garland? So I think this is interesting. Um I think the best way to look at this when it comes to Kevin, there have been a lot of questions about why is Kevin doing this? Kevin didn't play during the regular season for the Cavs, and now he's playing for Team USA, and it seems fishy and all those kinds of things. But first of all, if if the Olympics were in February or January instead of in July, August, Kevin wouldn't have played in the Olympics. He wouldn't have been healthy enough to play. But the thing that he needed was time. He needed time to recover. He needed time to get his body acclimated. He needed time for his calf to get right. And he's gotten that time that he needed. So, of course, if he has an opportunity this offseason to play for Team USA while he is currently healthy, he's going to take advantage of that opportunity. 
Sure. Um, and I think, Hayden, of all the things that Kevin could do this offseason to try and work on his game and improve his body, there are very few things that he could do that would be better than playing for Team USA, being surrounded by the guys that he's being surrounded with, um, playing for Greg Popovich, and maybe even playing in some Olympic games. Um, I don't know how much he's going to play, but if he does, you know, that experience against that level of competition in that environment is a lot better than what he could get if he just went for, like, runs in New York or if he he just played around with his trainer in New York and he did the normal things that he does um, to get ready for an NBA season. Like this preparation for an NBA season, whether he plays or not on the Olympic stage, whether he gets a lot of minutes or not on the Olympic stage, is going to be beneficial for him. But for me, like that's where I stop it. You know, there's a lot of people that are also talking about, oh, this is going to boost his trade value. I just don't see that, man. Like yeah. at at this stage, um, NBA teams know what he can and can't do. Um, they have seen him not be able to play over a majority of the last three years. They have seen his game transition from a number one option to a number two to a number three to now like a number four potentially at this stage of his career, or maybe like a three and a half on a contending team at this stage of his career. My point is three great weeks with Team USA, if that were to be the case, wouldn't wipe away what NBA teams have seen from him on an NBA court over the last three years. So this idea that he's going to boost his trade value, maybe slightly from a standpoint of, well, a team sees him healthy and playing, um, and they know that he's healthy um, after not being healthy for a majority of this past season. But this idea that he's going to go show out on the Olympic stage, um, playing against Australia or playing against France, Rudy Gobert, like that to me is a pipe dream. Um, his his trade value is not going to significantly change. His trade value is what it is. He is a negative asset because of his contract, because of his age, and because of his injury history. And three weeks from Team USA don't change those things. But it That's is good for him to be there. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, again, I think it's a good experience for him. And, um, you know, I, I just uh, I think that you're right in terms of the trade value. I mean, again, you're, it's people it's a pipe dream, right, for him to show out and all of a sudden, you know, but I, I agree. I agree completely that I think it's more of just like a hey, you know, maybe it's more to, to for Kevin to prove to himself, you know, yeah, that he can, yeah, that he can do it. Like, you know, I think he's he, he I think he said recently that he's felt the best he's felt. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's kind of maybe something for him mentally to prove to himself that he can still get the job done and can still feel good and can still play the game at a high level. So um, well, that go, say it again. If if he shows that he can. Right. And I know these are just exhibitions leading up to the Olympics. But in the first exhibition for Team USA, Kevin played three minutes, looked like the worst player on the court. Picked up three fouls in those three minutes and 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 looked slow, to be quite honest with everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so like if he goes out there and he can function and he can prove that, yes, he can hang in that kind of environment against that level of competition and performs well enough 
then it's a different story. But like, if he plays the way that he did in the first exhibition in some of the other games at the Olympics, it could honestly cast some doubt going into this season. That's true too. Well, I'm Mr. Positive, so I gotta I gotta keep no, the positive. I gotta keep the you. positive. I got to keep the positivity rolling. I got to, you know, it's going to be good for Kevin. He's going to find his rhythm. You know, we can't bring him down just yet. <laughs> but I totally understand where you're coming from. I, I completely get it. If he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't perform well and he's not moving well. And, you know, is there a situation, Chris, in which Kevin Love doesn't doesn't come back, retires? No, I don't think he's leaving that kind of money on the table. And and yeah. and I don't think he's at the point yet where it's like, I can't play. I think yeah. there's an admittance from Kevin, and he talked about it the other night. I was part of the, the Zoom call with a bunch of other reporters. I think there were like 60 of us on the Zoom call with Kevin mm-hmm. following one of the practices with Team USA. And there was an admittance from him that, you know, this is a phase of his career where it's, him transitioning into a different player, him transitioning into the last act. He's yeah. going to pivot away from the role and, and the style that, that he once played. He, he used to be a significant portion of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He used to be a significant piece of the Cavs and the big three. And now, as he's heading into year 14, he's no longer the number one guy. He's no longer going to be the guy that's going to play 30 minutes a night. You know, there's already a plan internally with the Cavs if Kevin is back this season um, that his role is going to diminish, his his minute load is going to diminish, um, the 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 kind of usage that he's probably used to throughout the course of his career that's going to diminish as well. Um, but but I think he recognizes that that it has to be that way for him to still have some level of perceived value around the NBA. Does that make sense? Yes. Like like Blake Griffin, once he was taken out of the role that a lot of people thought um, he was going to be in in Detroit, the role that people had grown accustomed to throughout the course of his career, once he was taken out of that and then he was given a completely different role for the Brooklyn Nets, you know, the perception around him started to change. He started to be looked at as, oh, this is somebody who can be helpful. This is somebody who does make sense um, as like the fourth option or the fifth option, a small ball five, whatever role you want to cast him in. Um, so I think when that happens with Kevin and and you, you can't ignore completely his contract, obviously, um, but when when that kind of role shift happens with him, Hayden, I think suddenly the perception about him will change as well. And then people will just accept the fact and be happy with the fact that he's just this floor spacing big man who's going to knock down threes, but he's not going to be a huge part of the offense. Yes, I completely understand that. I completely understand that. And that's the but whole- as long as he's but here's the thing, Hayden. As long as he's getting paid $30 million a year on yeah. this caliber team with the Cavs, there are different levels of expectation. Sure, sure. But I think, again, maybe uh, you when when you look at Kevin's – when you looked at Kevin's contract when he signed it, I mean, you were kind of looking 
And that's the kind of unfortunate part is that you were kind of mm-hmm. looking, okay, the first couple of years, you know, maybe he could be that anchor, that all-star that he was. And now, and then, okay, you're looking at the last couple of years, like, okay, he might be, you know, turning the page as, as he is turning the page and, um, you know, entering a different portion of his career, you know, but the young guys will be ready by then. So I think that that's kind of the expectation now. I mean, obviously the first two years were not at all what anybody yeah. expected, but, um, but when you look at the last couple, uh, you know, you're going to be in a situation where the young guy should be ready to step up and ready to take over. And yes. Kevin should kind of be able to take that step back. And, you know, I think that's kind of what the Cavaliers would even expect at this point in his in this contract. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, if we're talking about the best thing for Kevin at this stage of his career, I think the best thing for him, and I'm not saying this is the way that it's going to go, because it would have to make sense for the Cavs, too. But from Kevin's perspective, the best thing for him is to get bought out of that contract, mm-hmm. sign a way lesser deal, very similar to the one, you know, that Carmelo Anthony signed when he got bought out, similar to the one that Blake Griffin signed when he got bought out. That contract that doesn't um, come with a lot of expectation and just finish his career playing for a contending team that doesn't need a lot from him. Right. So like, here's, you know what I mean? Like I was talking to somebody in the league about this the other day. And um, we were talking about the possibility of of Kevin being traded to the Portland trailblazers, because that's a trade that always gets brought up. You know, Portland's Portland's looking for help around Dame. Kevin's from Lake Oswego. Um, Kevin didn't choose Oregon. He went to UCLA. So this gives him an opportunity to go back. Portland maybe regained some favor with those fans that he lost. Um, and he's playing with Dame at Team USA. But right. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, because Portland is in a situation, Hayden, where they're looking to take that next step and put the right pieces around Dame before having to blow that up and maybe trade Dame. That's the view that would be attached to Kevin if he got traded to Portland. Right. And I don't think he can live up to that at this stage of his career. Right. And he would be viewed then as the guy who was brought here to Portland to help keep Dame here, to help us take that next step. Kevin is not that guy that's going to help that team take that step. At this stage of his career. So I could see a scenario where if that trade were to happen, um, all those fans are going to turn on him again. Yeah. Just the way that some Cavs fans have, I think, rightly turned on Kevin for some of his missteps, for not living up to the contract in a lot of different ways. And the same thing would happen with the Blazers, because I just don't think Kevin's that guy or can be that guy at this particular stage of his career. There's a lot of interesting scenarios, a lot, a lot. And we've talked about a lot of them. Um, But like I said, I'll keep Mr. Positive. I hope uh, for his sake and for the sake of the Cavaliers and for the sake of uh, fans that he does, you know, does feels good enough to play well in the Olympics. And we'll see how that goes. Obviously, we'll be, you know, we'll be potting throughout the time the Olympics is going on. but looking forward to seeing, you know, him on the stage and, and the entire Team mm-hmm. USA on the stage. And, you know, obviously Darius Garland 
won't be with Team USA. He's not on the actual Team USA roster, but he's on the Team USA Select roster, which will play against, kind of be like a um, a practice squad for the Team USA roster. And I think that can only be positive for Darius to play against that competition, to be in that environment, to learn from some of these guys. I think it's a huge, huge, huge positive that Darius is with that team. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. And he got the call up to play with Team USA for these yeah. exhibitions that they're doing right now. Yeah. That doesn't mean that he's going to the Olympics. It just means that he's getting another opportunity. Um, it means that Team USA was short on on playmaking guards. Devin Booker's not around. Chris Middleton's not around. You know, Drew Holiday's not around because they're playing in the NBA Finals. So this is giving um, Darius an opportunity. Um, and it's giving Team USA some more depth to kind of get through this exhibition portion before they actually go to Tokyo. Um, so it's great experience. You know, this is this is how Kevin Love started with Team USA. This is how Kevin Durant started with Team USA. How Kyrie Irving started with Team USA. Uh, Russell Westbrook as well. They were all yeah. part of the select team, that next wave, the next group of up-and-comers that were going to get opportunities to grow with USA basketball. And for Darius to be around Damian Lillard and, and Zach Levine and, and to play against these guys, and even to play against a team like Australia, like he did last night, um, to play against a team like Nigeria the way that he did in the first exhibition game. Like I said with Kevin, there's nothing better that Darius Garland could be doing this offseason to improve his game and get ready for is going to be a big year three for him. Oh, yeah. A huge year three. Well, of course. Darius is on the team, but Colin Sexton is not on the team. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's it's time we talk about Colin again. I, the most polarizing, just completely just, I just, I, I don't even know. Everything about Colin Sexton is like, I just, I feel bad for, I mean, I, I, I don't feel bad. He's making millions. He's a, you know, he's a good kid. He's going to, he's going to be fine in the league, but like, it's just like everything that could make him polarizing that's out of his control makes him polarizing. And it's like I said, most of it's out of his control. So yeah. um, obviously the, the trade rumors continue, um, you know, with potential for a contract, potential for not, you know, potential for an extension, whatever. Um, there is now some new stuff about Ben Simmons being available, being made available by the Philadelphia mm -hmm. 76ers. And according to Mark Stein, that maybe the Cavaliers are interested. Um We've talked about Ben Simmons, and I guess we can go there soon. But with Colin, I mean, I, I just see this for, you know, continuing just like it's done with Kevin for the last, you know, four years. Well, so Shams reported earlier today that um, the New York Knicks are the most aggressive team in pursuit of Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't mean that that's one, the only team that's interested in Colin. I've heard the Miami Heat have an interest in him. I've heard the Los Angeles Lakers, the Indiana Pacers, maybe the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, so I think there are teams that are going to be interested in Colin. There's no doubt about that. And it doesn't mean, it also doesn't mean that the Cavs are going to move him. Right. I was talking to somebody about this before the podcast. And it's like, at the end of the day, like, this reality remains. Um, the Cavs have to get what they consider to be equal value or something close to it to move Colin. 
Yes. And and we've been talking for the last month or so. If they get the right deal, one, they'll explore it, and two, they'll do it if it's the right deal. But the Cavs have to consider it the right deal for them to move on. They don't have to do anything with Colin. The nope. ticking clock doesn't expire until the end of next offseason, or at least the end of next season going into free agency of next offseason. So it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen with him, but they don't have to train him. They don't have to give him an extension. They can keep him on the roster and figure out which direction they want to go from there. Um, at this point, Hayden, he's still their best option as the two guard. He can still be valuable for them this coming season while playing on his rookie deal. Um, so to me, based on exploring the league, looking at New York and what they could offer and the Indiana Pacers and what they can offer in Miami, it's still hard for me personally to find a trade that makes them better by dealing him away in the short term and maybe even in the long term as well. Right. That doesn't mean they're not going to do it. It doesn't mean that there isn't a team out there that lurks that I haven't thought about that has a package that makes sense. Um, it's just there's there's a lot here to this. Um, and we understand that the underlying issue is the fact that he is going to get paid. And the Cavs are now in a position where they have to attach a monetary value to the things that Colin brings to the table. And I don't believe their monetary value is going to align with Colin's camp and the monetary value that they think he's worth. The thing with, if, if you were to guess, I mean, would this trade, say, say a trade were to happen, right? Okay. Um, Which team? With, with Colin. Yeah. I mean, do we have a team? No, 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 no team necessary. Okay. No team All right. necessary. All right. Um, the point being like, would you expect it to be either? I, I would think right now that if the Cavs were to trade Colin Sexton, uh-huh. it would be either before the draft, during the draft, or either either in the middle of next season. I don't think it'll be a situation in which I think once they draft a player, then they're going to want to see how it works with Colin. Yeah. So I would say, like, if we don't see a trade of Colin by, you know, July 30th, then I don't think we'll see one until at least, you know, the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair to say. I think that's about the timing of this whole thing. Um, the fact that the draft is right around the corner, it's about two weeks away. This is the time that you hear those rumors start to build. Um, this is the time where you could potentially see some movement with players, uh, not just Colin, but other players that could be involved as well. Um, it was a couple of years ago, if you remember, the Chicago Bulls and Minnesota Timberwolves did a deal that involved Zach Levine, Jimmy Butler. Um, so, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think I think logic would point to that, Hayden. Yes. All right. Well, I, I think that's something to look out for in the next couple of weeks. Um, for, sure. for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, in regards to Ben Simmons, I mean, you know, that's a name that just continues to be brought up. And I think we both kind of agreed that. It's not the best fit for Cleveland um, for a couple of reasons. But, I mean, would you – if – I'm assuming that if um, 
if the Cavaliers were to make a trade for Ben Simmons, I would assume that Colin would have to be involved. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense that he would be involved in that kind of deal. But I'll put it this way. I, I don't think the Cavs have ultimately what Philadelphia is looking for. Because we have to keep in mind, Philadelphia on the other side is in win-now mode. They've got Joel Embiid. They were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They feel like they bowed out of the playoffs a little bit too early. They've got a ton of money committed to Tobias Harris. Um Right now, as it stands, they have a ton of money committed to Ben Simmons. So this is a team that's in win-now mode. And the Cavs don't have a lot of win-now pieces that would really satisfy Philly. I think Larry Nance Jr. would fit potentially in that kind of deal. Maybe Torian Prince would fit in that kind of deal as an expiring. Uh, Kevin Love would fit in that kind of deal. But But I just think at the end of the day... Philadelphia is going to be looking for an all-star caliber player in return for Ben Simmons. And I just don't see that on the Cavs right now. Um, that's ready to help them immediately to push them over the edge. That's going to be a better fit with Joel Embiid. So I think there are just other teams out there, Hayden, that are going to create packages for Ben Simmons that are going to be better than what the Cavs can create. I mean, with... I just I look at the NBA landscape and I look at Colin Sexton. I mean, you know, the Knicks being aggressive and wanting to or potentially being aggressive and wanting to. I mean, what do you think the fit? What do you think it is about Colin that would fit in super well there? Is it just the fact that they have, um, you know, a couple of bigs? I mean, what is it with them? Uh, they just need another attacking guard like that yeah. throughout the course of the postseason. Their best player that fit that kind of mold. Um, was Derek Rose. Right. You know, think about his age. Think about his injury history. So that style player, I, I think, is something that appeals to New York. Um, there's obviously the connection of Brock Aller. He was here um, when the Cavs drafted Colin with the eighth overall pick. He saw Colin work behind the scenes. He saw the inherent value that the Cavs see that maybe some other teams don't see because they're not here they're not physically watching Colin on a daily basis, seeing how he interacts with coaches and teammates and members of the front office, seeing him stay late at night. Brock Aller knows all those things because he's seen all those things. Right. Uh, the other thing is Leon Rose is now the president of basketball operations. Before he was in that role, he was with CAA, which is the agency that represents Colin Sexton. So if there's anybody who's going to know about Colin Sexton, it's going to be the New York Knicks because of the Brock connection, because of Leon Rose's connection with CAA and Leon Rose's connection now with Colin's agent, Austin Brown, who kind of took over that particular role at CAA that Leon Rose was in. So there are a lot of things that I think would make that make sense in saying that. What are the New York Knicks going to give the Cavs in return for Colin? I have no idea. That's my only problem. None. They're going to give Obi Toppin, Kevin Knox, and like a future first round pick? Yikes. Is that enough for the Cavs to say yes? I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Are they going to give two of the first round picks that they have? And then it's like, how many more young guys do the Cavs really need? Exactly. So, I don't know. 
Um, I think it makes sense that the Knicks are aggressively pursuing somebody like Colin. I don't know ultimately that they're the fit that the Cavs would say yes to in a Colin deal. Well, certainly we will be on the lookout in the Colin Sexton trade market. I mean, we are always on the lookout. We are always talking about Colin, always. And we always will be talking about Colin until he's either re-signed or he's traded or something along those lines. Again, one of the most polarizing players. But I do want to switch gears because right now yeah. we are going to do a live audio segment. You usually do this on cleveland.com slash Cavs. And what better time to tell you this than right now? You need to sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. On the top, you'll see a blue banner. You blue banner. You click that blue banner, and you put in your phone number, and you get a 14-day free trial of all of Chris's insight analysis and all that good stuff leading up to the draft. And you should do it now because, again, the draft is in, what, uh, 16 days. So do it now. Get your stuff ready. Get, get Chris's analysis. Get his insight from a little what more than two weeks. Now. Can you believe it? I know, a little more than two weeks. Crazy. A little more than two weeks. Do it now. Do it now. So, and that's the only way, that's the only way for you to text Chris back and to text Chris your questions. And those questions go to a segment called Hey Chris. Mm -hmm. Now, usually that Hey Chris segment is posted and his answers are via um, the written word. But today, today, folks, we are going to give you a special live, audio version of hey chris so chris hey chris are you ready (laughs) i'm ready man yes let's go good 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 all right so going we're starting right off the top with the draft okay why would anyone now this is not this is not the wording of you these are these are questions brought in uh we are not saying these things these are questions that are that are texted to chris via subtext so the first text is why would anyone want a soft big man parentheses Mobley parentheses over Jalen Green question mark no no name on that one I don't even know why that's a debate at this point in time like that's not a debate that's even going to happen I I think we're just wasting our breath with that um Cade Cunningham's gonna go number one and then chances are the Houston Rockets are picking between Green or Mobley so the Cavs aren't going to have that internal debate at number three. So, I mean, if you want to have a real debate, it's it's more Mobley versus Jalen Suggs. Right. But I guess the question is, why are we calling him soft? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. See, like, that's something that bothers me, too. I think people have to recognize that even though Evan Mobley is a seven-footer, it doesn't mean like he plays like every seven footer because not every seven footer plays the same kind of game. Not every dude that's six foot 10 plays the same kind of game and has the same skill set. So just because Evan Mobley is tall, it doesn't mean he's a center. He's probably a power forward. And that's part of the appeal. um, If you think about Mobley to the Cavs, because yes, they have Larry Nance Jr. And yes, they have Kevin Love. But if we're talking about team building, Kevin Love's future is cloudy at best. And Larry Nance Jr. is one of the most valuable trade pieces that the Cavs have. So if if they got Evan Mobley and decided, hey, let's rejigger this roster, let's improve a different area of the team, 
then maybe that would make somebody like Larry Nance Jr. a little bit more expendable. I'm not saying that's the way that it goes, but that's at least an option that the Cavs could consider. Um, so I think Jared Allen and Evan Mobley could both play together. Evan Mobley is more of a stretchy big. Um, if he knocks down the perimeter shot at a higher clip, if he shows that shooting range, that would be great for the Cavs. They believe shooting is a trait, um, depending on the player. If the player is going to work at it hard enough, if he has um, a correctable form, they believe shooting is a trait that can be improved over time. And they can point to Colin Sexton and Jetty Osman and Larry Nance Jr. as examples of that. So just because he's seven foot doesn't mean that he's a center. He's going to be a power forward early on in his career, and he's probably going to play some backup center minutes behind Jared Allen. And it gives them some insurance based on what happens with Isaiah Hartenstein. So I don't think he's an ideal fit for a team that has so much invested in the front court. Um, and they're going to invest more probably in Jared Allen. But I don't think he's a poor fit based on some of the options that are going to be there at three for the Cavs, if that makes sense. I, people tend to forget that, that, and I'm saying this, this is my opinion, mm-hmm. that the greatest scorer of all time is seven foot <laughs> and played for, plays for the Brooklyn Nets. His name is Kevin Durant. Yeah. And, I mean, like, he's seven foot, but nobody views him as a big. So why is it that every seven right. footer is automatically like, oh, it's a big? Right. And Giannis you know I mean? is six foot eleven, right? And nobody's talking about him as a center, right? He's a three slash four. Yeah, right. he can play some center. He can play some small ball center. <laughs> Although, is it really small ball center when you're using Giannis at center? No. I, I guess I'll phrase it this way: He can play some non-traditional center. There you go. Now, Evan Mobley is taller than Andre Drummond, but he doesn't play like Andre Drummond, right? He's a perimeter-oriented big who can be the hub of your offense at the elbow, out at the top of the key. He can pick and pop. He can pick and roll. His style is more like a three-slash-four than it is a five. And that's what makes him valuable. Yes. That's what puts him up there. Yes. Okay. Um, Moving on. Moving on. We got to keep going with these questions. All right. Um, question. Any update on the Cavs assistant coach position left open by Lindsey Gottlieb? Seems like a lot of options are being hired by other teams. Do you think the Cavs are an attractive organization for coaches? And does the league have confidence in J.B. Bickerstaff as a head coach? Well, here's the bottom line. They're not going to be as attractive as some of these other options that that some of these other guys took. Um, David Fisdale was on the Cavs list. He's somebody that that J.B. Bickerstaff talked to. He wasn't going to turn down an opportunity to be with LeBron again in the Los Angeles Lakers to come to Cleveland. I mean, if you have those opportunities in front of you, you're going to look at everything that's involved in that. And chances are you're going to pick Los Angeles over Cleveland. That's just the reality of it, right? Right. You know, Lloyd Pierce has an opportunity to go coach. He's got a great relationship with J.B. Bickerstaff. It's somebody that J.B. talked to about coming aboard. He's got an opportunity to go to Indiana, coach with Rick Carlisle, maybe be given a title of associate head coach that he doesn't get here in Cleveland. That makes sense. Jamal Mosley was somebody else that was on the Cavs list. 
he was somebody that J.B. Bickerstaff was looking to bring here um, to kind of be his right-hand man. He got a head coaching gig. So yeah. it's not like it's not like David Fisdale picked the Charlotte Hornets over the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> right. you, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I think the Cavs would have loved any one of those guys, and they definitely were on the list. There are some other notable guys that are on J.B. Bickerstaff's list that he would like to bring here as assistants. But um, some of the guys that are on the list are going to be in the running for head coaching jobs. Some of the guys on the list are well-respected, and they might be looked at as assistants in better destinations or maybe associate head coaches in better destinations. So I think J.B. Bickerstaff recognizes because he's aiming so high with this assistant coach hire, um, he's probably going to lose one or two of these options, three in this case, um, to either better opportunities or instead of it being a lateral move, you know, a step up in a head coaching gig. Moving on, we have another question. Uh, we have heard some of these extreme comps of these top five guys, like Green could be Kobe. But now that you have researched even more, who Green are your could best? Be Kobe? That's what this guy is saying. We have some extreme comps. Of oh, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think Brian Shaw said something along those lines, actually. Brian Shaw, who coached him with G League Ignite. Okay, go on. There you go. Um, but now that you've researched these guys even more, who are your best realistic comparisons for these guys? Mark and Copley. Who are uh, these guys? That's the first thing. I mean, we could talk yeah, about so throw the names I, at I say we go. I say we go with Mobley, Green, and Suggs. All right. I mean, I, I was just going to go to the top five if you want to uh, start okay. with Cade cool. Cunningham. Go ahead. Yeah. Cade's a hard one. I've talked to scouts and executives about Cade, and they're having a hard time coming up with a comparison. I talked to somebody who um, was with Team USA that brought up Grant Hill as a comparison. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, I talked to an executive that said Penny Hardaway. I talked to a scout that said Jason Tatum for okay. Cade Cunningham. So, like, those are the caliber players that you're talking about with Cade. Okay. I've heard Luca too. They kind of have um, the same size. The knock on Luca when he was coming into the NBA was supreme athleticism. That's kind of the knock on Kate as well. He's not super quick. He's not a great athlete. You know, he's not the athlete that Jalen Green is anyway. Right. So that's where the Luka comparison comes from. I think those are the main ones that, that I've heard. And, and I could see all of those types. Yeah. Who's next? Jalen Green. Uh, Jalen Green is Zach Levine. Everybody comes up with the same comp for Jalen Green and Zach Levine. Just okay. bounce for days. Three level score, um, can create off create off the bounce if he has to. Also, really really good in a catch and shoot situation. That's the one that comes um, from most people. Um, Evan Mobley. I hear Bosch the most when okay. it comes to Evan Mobley. Bosch when he was coming out of uh, college. Yeah. Because if you think about it, I can't remember. He didn't shoot a ton of threes. In college, I'm trying to find the exact number. Nah, he was, yeah. But it it wasn't a lot. 
he wasn't he was more of like mid-range guy yeah but you you felt like that 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 long-range shot could come you felt like there would be the facilitation eventually you felt like um he could switch everything on defense he started his career by the way as a four yeah. and then he slowly transitioned into a five yeah so yeah he shot 47.8 percent from three bosch did but he only took 1.5 per game he only took 46 in total yeah so it's kind of a wonky stat very small sample size free throw percentage for bosch was about 73 percent um so that's the one that you hear a lot. I think Anthony Davis is a little bit too over the top. So Bosch makes a lot of sense to me. All right. And then we got Jalen Suggs. I heard one last night that I thought was really interesting. Derek Rose is what I heard last night. Ooh, okay. Yeah. A lot of athleticism there. You know, put together so he could take a lot of contact at the rim and finish at the rim. There are questions about the outside shot with with Jalen Suggs, just like there were about De- uh, Derrick Rose. So I actually thought that was an interesting one. I hadn't heard that before. D. Rose is also considered like a really good leader. Guys gravitate to him. Jalen Suggs has that inherent quality, too. So I'll go with that. I think it's interesting. I've also heard Chauncey Billups because the thing that people love about Jalen Suggs so much is is leadership. And Chauncey was one of the best leaders in the NBA during his time. Can I give you my comparison on this yeah. one? Yeah, who do you like? I'm going to go Brandon Roy. Yeah, that's interesting, too. I could see it. I'm going to go Brandon Roy on that one. Yeah, I mean one of the one of, the, one of the, a great great player. Just you know, injuries killed yeah. his career. But I mean, I just I do see similarities in their games. I will say though that I hate. I mean, I don't hate. Hate's a strong word. You just I like comparisons. Just, I, yeah, Com- comparisons to me are like uh, okay. I mean, I get it. I understand it. You know, guys are going to be similar, and you want to like, but like, just look at the guy for who he is. Like, you know, yeah, know. you're not going to. Jalen Suggs is Jalen Suggs. Jalen Green is Jalen Green. Like, what were LeBron's comparisons coming down? I mean, <laughs> you know, like, there's never been a player like LeBron, and people were probably comparing him to, like, you know, well, Michael Jordan, but, like, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yep. LeBron, the, the comparisons are dumb. Like, me, it, dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb. No offense, Mark and Copley. I get it. I know what you're looking at, but it's just, I, Take them for who they are. Just see who they are. And if you, I guess Mark's point is that if he doesn't know, if he hasn't seen them, then I guess you know more of what he's expecting. I understand mm-hmm. that. All right, moving on. Uh, I like what the is Brandon I, Roy one though? That's a good one. And yeah. and if you remember, now he played in a different kind of era. Yeah. But he was early two thousands to mid two thousands in college. But he only That's took a right. hundred, a hundred fifty four threes. Over four years with Washington. Think about that. Yeah. Four-year college guy, too. That You don't see yeah, that much. Yeah, it was. You don't see that much. Okay, moving on. Um, I do love my comparison as well, though. Uh, <laughs> what is Isaac Okora up to this summer? What's he working on? Obviously, he's working on his body. He's trying to get stronger, in better shape. We see him doing a lot of boxing. Um, I've been told that the plan is for him to play in summer league. For the Cavs, okay. by the way. Um, now, that doesn't mean that he's going to play in every single game. 
Summer League has the whole tournament set up. So I don't know if it's going to be one game, two game, three games. I don't know however many it's going to be. I think part of that is up to the Cavs. I think the other part of that is up to Isaac on how much he wants to play. But I have been told that the plan is for him to play in Summer League. He's going to be probably the anchor and leader of that team, along with, obviously, whoever the Cavs draft with the number three pick. Um, So I think that's going to be good for him. The Cavs are going to mix in some ball handling responsibilities for him. They're probably going to play him at the two every now and then, not just the three. They're going to explore a lot of different avenues with Isaac. But obviously, you know, the big goal this offseason is to get him um, to a point offensively where he's not somebody that the defense can shade away from at the three-point line or not have to honor so it clogs the paint. And he knows that he's got to get better offensively. The Cavs know that he's got to get better offensively. He's one of the hardest workers on the team. He looks stronger. He looks bigger. He looks like a guy who's been working his ass off, um, both on the court and in the gym. So I would expect him to make, you know, a Darius Garland-type leap from year one to year two offensively. To be honest, Chris, I mean, he has always struck me as somebody who's just very strong. Oh, yeah. He, he looks like he's a I mean, he looks like he's putting the work. I mean, I've, I've never had a question at all about, you know, his strength. I mean, that's he just he like, you know, last year, I mean, like first couple photos, his arms, he's jacked. So, like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just. Yeah, I, I mean, I would assume that like his body isn't the biggest thing to work on, but it's certainly something. I mean, obviously, he came into the NBA with an NBA-ready body. He didn't have an NBA-ready game. But, yeah, he's got to still get stronger. Sure. Uh, Yes, he's got to get in better shape, especially if he's going to bang with some of these threes or maybe even fours in certain lineups. I think the Cavs, I mean, I think they're going to explore a lot of different things with Isaac. Like I said, the two, the three in some lineups, the four in some lineups. allowing him to be more of a playmaker, um, also spot-up shots. There's just going to be a variety of different ways that they're going to try and use him, and rightfully so. If he has that level of versatility, you have to take advantage of that, and you have to explore that. Like, I'm kind of being sarcastic, and I'm kind of not. But, like, when I see this question, what's a core up to this summer, what's he working on? My answer would be, like, everything. Everything, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like everything. He's like he's a second year NBA player. He better be working on everything. Like, you know, getting bigger, stronger, faster. He better be working on his defense, better be working on his offense, his layout. I mean, just you work. You just do everything. Yeah. You don't really you're not like at your LeBron point yet, where LeBron, like, you know, I remember like we've talked about where he kind of um, you know, hired Hakeem Olajuwon to start working on his post move right, and like right, all that right. kind of stuff. I mean, at this point, the answer to that question is absolutely everything. Yeah. Yeah. Ball handling, right, post ups, three point shooting, you yes. name it. Yes. Okay, we have addressed this question before, but I think it's a good one. Hey, Chris, how do you think the Cavs are try to acquire a veteran ball handler this summer? And now, especially since Delhi is out of the organization, Stephen from Westlake. So first of all, my neighbor, Stephen of Westlake, um, <laughs> pleasure having you as a neighbor. Second of all, great question. Well, um, I think it's near the top of their list of, of things that they want to acquire this offseason. Obviously, if they can improve the wing spot, They would love to do that, whether it's via free agency or trade. 
there aren't a lot of great free agent wings out there. You're talking about Reggie Bullock caliber players, Doug McDermott, um, Otto Porter Jr. McBuckets? <laughs> yeah. McBuckets can shoot it, man. He is yeah, an offensive player that the Cavs could definitely use. He is a complete liability on the defensive end of the floor, though. Yeah. Uh, but that could work, depending on the lineups that you use him with. If you pair him with Larry Dance Jr. and Jared Allen or Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, it could work for stretches. There's no doubt about that. But he is an awful defensive player. So those caliber players are kind of what the Cavs would be looking at if if you're talking about using the mid-level exception and signing one of them in free agency. Um, we've talked about Brandon Ingram. He would obviously be at the top of the Cavs list of trade targets. Ben Simmons would be on their list as well um, if he's willing to play the three slash four rather than true point guard. Um, I I think. That avenue would probably bring a more impactful wing. So because of that, I think their focus with the mid-level exception and free agency is probably going to shift more to what we're talking about, that backup ball handler or somebody who could play with Darius Garland at the same time. Or maybe if Colin Sexton's here, three-guard lineup, if you want to throw that out there, if you want to talk about Alex Caruso, Josh Hart, those types of players it doesn't have to be the true pass first point guard the Cavs just need another playmaker somebody that can handle create initiate either for themselves or for others um it's something that was lacking throughout the course of last season in a big big way it's where they missed kevin porter jr it's where they missed matthew della vadova um that kind of player is near the top of their list when it comes to free agency for sure. All right, the final question. And this I this is not a question that I asked, but this is a question that I would ask. Given the importance and because we've discussed this because of where we stand on the draft board as of now. Given the importance of leadership for having success in the NBA, mm -hmm. I'm wondering why you don't rate Jalen Suggs higher on your draft board. <laughs> well, um, I like Jalen Suggs. I think everybody that has listened to this podcast, they understand that I like Jalen Suggs. But it's like there are a lot of really, really, really good players in this year's draft. And I give a little bit of an edge to Jalen Green because I think the skills that he brings to the table in terms of athleticism and shot creation are so valuable these days. And if somebody can be elite at those things, I see more of a path to start potential. Um, and then with Evan Mobley, I've talked about this. He's a unicorn. He's just yep. different. Guys like him don't come around every year. They don't come around every five years, every 10 years. So because Mobley and Green are in this draft and I see so much star potential with them, it doesn't mean I dislike Suggs. I like a lot of things with Suggs. Um, again, I think he is going to go to a place and that team is instantly going to be better. But I just don't see as much of a ceiling for him because the thing that he does best is very, very difficult to measure. It's those yes. intangible things like the elite intangibles are hard for me. Um, they're hard for me 
to build around. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. 100%. I guess I'm just more willing to put in that. I I just think that that's what's sorely, sorely, sorely needed on Cavaliers. Yeah, you're right. They need it big time. And... You know, and, and that's again, maybe maybe I don't know as much about Jalen Green's leadership tendencies. Maybe I don't know as much about, um, you know, Mobley's leadership tendencies. I mean, obviously, um, I'm sure all those guys are leaders. I don't think you are that successful without being a leader um, at any level. But I think the Cavaliers sorely missed that. And um, and I don't know. I just I've always when I when I think of Jalen Suggs, I really do think of Brandon Roy. And Brandon Roy was one of my favorite, you know, guys to watch, and and really kind of held that team together in in Portland. So, um, I don't know. Just right now, I would I would go with Jalen Suggs because of that. But you're right. I mean, I think that there is probably a higher ceiling with with Jalen Green. Um, but that's the thing about the draft is that, you know, not every player hits their ceiling. And uh, yeah. And that's the entire issue. You know, I think Anthony's day, I think Anthony Bennett's ceiling could have been pretty high and, uh, you know, didn't come <laughs> close. So it's just a matter of Andrew Wiggins, pretty, pretty high ceiling and he hasn't come close. So right. it, it's just a matter of, uh, I think he's maybe the safest and yeah, maybe, I think, yep. and maybe that's why I'm kind of leaning that way because, you know, the Cavaliers need desperately need to hit, hit on this pick. And uh, if, you know, if, if something happens that they don't, you know, do that, then they're going to be in a bad place. So I guess I'm going the safest just because in this situation, I feel like they need at least a guy that they know is going to give them something. Yeah. See, for me, I'm looking at it the opposite. I'm looking yeah. at them trying to find the highest ceiling. That's Because fair. they have dudes that can play at this point in time. Yeah, Colin fair. can play. Darius can play. Isaac Okoro can play. They're good players. But if the Cavs are going to take that next step that we're talking about, sure, they need the Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Zion Williamson, John ja Morant level of talent. God, can we just go back and redo that lottery so they can get Luka Doncic? The stories <laughs> would just be epic. They would. You're right. But I think you're absolutely right in terms of the Suggs. Like, I do think there's a really, really high floor there because yeah. you're no, you know you're getting a smart player. You know he's got the athleticism. You know he's got the toughness because of his football background. He's got a great feel for the game. Great passer. Just mature beyond his years in terms of how he plays the game. And he's going to defend. Yep. He's going to take those defensive challenges. He's going to understand defensive rotations. He's got the size and the bulk to defend one, two, maybe even three it's just at this point i don't know that he is a dynamic offensive player the same way that jalen green is a dynamic offensive player or the way that evan mobley i think could be a dynamic offensive player in the future you know what chris i'm already starting to think about chet holmgren (laughs) (laughs) i can't lie I'm already starting to think about Chet Holmgren. <laughs> You've already overlooked who is it? Paulo Banchero, I think is his name. The other uh, guy. Yeah, the other guy. That's fine. I mean, I don't know. I, just thinking about Jalen Suggs and Gonzaga, you think about Chet Holmgren. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't think I, the Cavaliers hope to God they're not in that situation next year unless they make a trade and acquire a first-round pick, and that first-round pick, you know, ends up being a really good one. But, um, you know, that's another kind of unicorn. I mean, that's a guy that's going to play yeah. a lot like – you know, yeah. and, but talk about a non-NBA ready body. Oh my goodness, he's got you know 
50, 60, 70 pounds to put on before. Yeah. He's got work to do. Right. But either way, I think, you know, we got to, we got two more weeks till we, uh, till we will see what happens with the Cavaliers. They have two more weeks to decide. And I think that'll be, I think that'll be an argument that they have, you know, they'll, I think that they'll, they'll think about that through and through about, you know, the Jalen Suggs versus Jalen Green versus safe versus not safe versus, you know, ceiling versus floor. I mean, they're going to have all this kind of conversation. And they they might be put in a situation where they, you know, it is between two guys and they really like one guy over the other. So, you know. I think that's, I, the bad, um, that's the bad thing about having the third pick is that, you know, you, you're kind of put into place, but it's also the good thing about having a third pick is that sometimes you just don't have to think as hard. Yeah, and I said it right after the lottery. I wrote it for Cleveland.com. I'll stick with it. There is no wrong answer. No. And that's good. Either way, they are getting um, the best and most important player of this rebuild with the third overall pick. And if it's Jalen Suggs, I get it. If it's Evan Mobley, I get it. If it's Jalen Green, I get it too. The thing that I'll say about Suggs, though, there is a belief inside this organization that that Darius, of of all the guys currently to build around, Darius would be the one to build around. Yeah. That he's got the most upside. Yeah. I'm not saying this takes Suggs out of the equation, but if there's... If if there are two prospects or three prospects in this case that are close enough together, fit is going to come into play. Yeah. And style is going to come into play. And it's going to be some kind of tiebreaker. Jalen Suggs, of all the guys that we've talked about, Jalen Suggs conflicts most with Darius Garland. Because to get the most out of those guys, to get them to be at their best, you want the ball in their hands. You want them to be the decisive playmaker. So I think it becomes a harder fit with Darius and Suggs. All right. I I see it. I do. I definitely see it. Um again, we'll see where they're we'll see where they land. We'll see where they're at. That's the bottom line. But in the meantime. Definitely go check out Chris's subtext again. $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Uh, what's a better time to do it than right now? Two weeks until the draft, pretty much. Um, you're going to get all kinds of insight and analysis before the draft begins. All Whatever Chris is hearing from the front office and around the league. You know, any trade updates, any, you know, rumors, all that kind of stuff. Again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page. Put in your number, and you will be signed up, ready to go. So, um, like I said, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial for Chris's subtext. And that's exactly how you can get your questions in to the Hey Chris. Uh, we can't, we're not going to do it live on the podcast every time, but certainly this was a special treat. And uh, you'll be able to see the Hey Chris on the Cleveland.com slash Cavs website. So, Chris, before we go, anything else that you want to put into this podcast? Uh, nope. I don't think so. Good. Good, good, good. All right. Well, we will be uh, back with you shortly. Again, appreciate you guys joining us as always. Cleveland.com slash Cavs for all of our Cavaliers coverage with Chris. Once again, thank you for joining us. Have a great week. Take care.